Right now, many churches are planning their budgets for the next fiscal year. Your church can support the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. by joining the Issues Etc. 300. We're looking for 300 congregations to include $1,000 in their mission or advertising budgets. Find out more about the Issues Etc. 300 on the support page of our website, issuesetc.org. Don't miss your congregation's budget deadline. Download the flyer and present it to your congregation today. Welcome back to Issues Etc. We often say, I dare say we repeat it almost daily here on Issues Etc., that the student of of the Bible's job is to find Jesus Christ for sinners on every page of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. Jesus says you can. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Someone might defiantly, however, put their finger down in the 13th through 16th chapters of the book of Judges and say, not here. Here is Samson. He killed a lot of people. He killed more people when he died than he had when he lived, and that's saying something. And he's arrogant, and he's disobedient, and although he's set aside as a holy man from his birth, he doesn't live like one, at least the standard that we consider to be a life of holiness. He even takes up with the enemy in his own bed, and it turns out to be his undoing, and dies in what appears to be, well, ignominious defeat at the hands of the Philistines, Samson. So where's Jesus there? Joining us to talk about the Old Testament judge Samson, Dr. Andrew Steinman, professor of theology at Concordia University, Chicago, and he's author of the Concordia Commentaries on Daniel, Proverbs, and Ezra and Nehemiah. Dr. Steinman, welcome back. Nice to be back with you, Todd. Where is Jesus in the Samson story? Well, first, I think we need to look at the account of Jesus' birth, where we have this um, somewhat mysterious figure that shows up to announce Jesus' birth to Samson's mother. Uh, who uh, This figure is identified as the angel of the Lord. And later on, um, Manoah and his wife, and especially Manoah, Samson's father, realizes that they have seen God when they have seen this uh, messenger who brings them news that uh, their son is going to begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines. And with many of the early church fathers, I believe this is actually a pre-incarnation appearance of Jesus to announce um, this uh, beginning of the salvation uh, from the Philistines. What is the state of affairs? And we're going to say more about the, the Christ thread that runs through all of this by way of foreshadowing and type as well as time goes by, but what's the state of affairs for the Israelites when Samson is born? Well, the uh, Philistines have the upper hand. Uh, Apparently they are uh, better at iron technology than the Israelites, uh, and this will uh, go on beyond Samson's death. Uh, They're oppressing Israel. Um, Apparently for a while they've been in kind of a, a weak alliance with the Ammonites on the other side of the Jordan River uh, to kind of oppress Israel. And so uh, Israel is in dire straits as the the Philistines press on them in the west and the Ammonites for a while in the east. And uh, there's just kind of a a general lack of um, willingness, perhaps, as well as ability uh, to stand up to these Philistine incursions. And so um, God's using this, of course, to punish Israel for its 
idolatry and abandoning him, um, and and they uh, simply are now to the point of desperation as they cry out to the Lord, and God provides them uh, with Samson, uh, this very flawed man, as you pointed out, to be their, uh, the beginning of their deliverance from the uh, Philistine oppression. Coming back to his birth, it is uh, one of those kind of typical births in the Old Testament, especially in that it, and it seems to fit with others like the birth of Isaac and other great figures in the Old Testament, because it is pre-announced by God himself. What's there? Yeah, well, we have this uh, interesting thing uh, where we have um, this woman who is unable to uh, bear a child, or at least has been unable to bear a child to this point. Um, and uh, as I said, this mysterious figure appears to her, uh, the angel of the Lord, and announces that she is going to conceive a child, and this child uh, is to be a Nazarite from his birth. Now, the laws about the Nazarites are back in the Pentateuch. They were given by Moses. And um, because this child is going to be a Nazarite, she already, before the child is born, has to do certain things that relate to the way Nazarites are supposed to behave. And so she is not to um, have any... um, alcoholic beverage, especially nothing from the vine. Um, And uh, also she's told, you know, that this child, since he's going to be a Nazarite from his birth, is not to cut his hair. This was one of the laws of the Nazarites also. Um, She tells her husband, her husband's, I guess, in a little bit of a state of disbelief, and perhaps, um, if not in disbelief, a little bit of confusion. And so he prays to God to send the, the messenger back. And the messenger does come back and repeats the instructions to Manoah and his wife uh, this time. And then they go, um, because this is a uh, visitor, they decide to do the hospitality uh, that's expected in the ancient Near East. And they are going to um, bring uh, a meal, uh, a goat, uh, for them, uh, for him to eat. Um, and the messenger says, put it here on the rock. And instead of eating it, we're told that the messenger... Uh, goes up into heaven, and the the um, the meat is consumed in flame of fire. And this is when Manoah says, um, "Oh no, we're going to die because we have seen the Lord." He realizes who now has actually appeared to him that God Himself has appeared to him. And of course, in the Old Testament, uh, they often were afraid to look at God because of their sin. They knew they couldn't be in the presence of a holy God; uh, that they would be consumed by his uh, holiness, and uh, therefore he says we're going to die because we've seen this, much like Moses hiding his face at the burning bush. His wife, though, uh, perhaps has a more level head, and she says, well, if if he had meant to kill us, he could have done that already, Uh, that there's something else she's implying that's more important uh, than that. And, of course, it's the birth of this child that is being provided uh, for the Israelites' deliverance. So, um, just to put a fine point on this, um, and maybe there's something to be said of the little encounter where the husband, uh, after the the uh, the offering has been prepared, asks him his name. Yeah. The response here is somewhat cryptic. Why do you ask me my name since it is marvelous or since it is wonderful? What's there? Yeah, well, you know, the name of, of God is, is, the, is the great... Uh, thing revealed to Israel uh, through Moses. You know, Moses uh, gets this name at the burning bush um, to reveal to Israel. 
And uh, so when he asked uh, this angel, this messenger, his name, of course, uh, we, we get this cryptic response because, of course, it is the most wonderful name. It's the name of God himself. And if, if I'm right, uh, with many of the Church Fathers, it's the name of the Messiah himself, which, of course, is not going to be revealed until Gabriel reveals it in the New Testament, that you will call his name Jesus because he will save their people, or his people, from their sins. Um, and so he doesn't reveal that, uh, but it's a, it's a wonderful name. Um, and, of course, Isaiah alludes to this again later on in his prophecy about the Savior called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Uh, so uh, this, this thing about the name, of course, I think helps point us towards the, that this is Jesus himself providing uh, Samson as a deliverer here and actually delivering the word uh, to Manoah and his wife. He sets him, this angel of the Lord's message sets this child apart as, if we could use the technical term here, sanctified or holy to the Lord, as evidenced by the different way that he is supposed to conduct his life. And then we're told in verse 25 of chapter 13, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him when he was uh, in Mahandan between Zorah and Eshtaol. What's being said here? Is this the Holy Spirit? Yes, this is the the Holy Spirit uh, stirring in him and stirring him up now to begin his um, confrontation with the Philistines. At this point in the story, by the time we get uh, to the very end um, of this chapter, we very quickly have gone from Samson's birth to the to where he's a young man of marriageable age. Um, that's just almost skipped over except for one sentence where we're told he grew and the Lord blessed him. Um, and so the Spirit of, of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, is stirring in him um, so that he can be used uh, for this confrontation with the Philistines that we're going to read about in the next couple chapters. Well, I mean, the first thing he does, uh, at least according to the narrative, under the influence of the Spirit of the Lord, is seek a wife among the Philistines. Yeah, you know, sometimes God works uh, in, as we would say, mysterious ways, uh, ways that seem counter to our intuition. Um, and But we're told in the narrative here, uh, you know, Samson's mother and father don't like this because they know you're not supposed to intermarry with um, the nations around uh, because of the temptation to idolatry. But then we're told by the narrator here in Judges, that this was God's doing, it was his way of getting at the Philistines. And so God is doing something that's kind of counterintuitive, especially counterintuitive uh, to uh, Samson's parents. But eventually they go on and, uh, and bless it. Of course, um, many times in this era, uh, marriages were arranged through families. And so they go, uh, go ahead and go, go arrange the marriage with this Philistine woman, even though they have their doubts about it, um, and they don't realize that it, God is actually working in a way that uh, appears to be um, not quite kosher, we might say. Let's take a break. Uh, what kind of questions or comments do you have about the Old Testament? Judge Samson, we're in Judges chapters 13 through 16, the life and death of Samson the Judge. Our call-in number live this Thursday afternoon, the 12th of May, one eight seven seven six two three. 6943 
877-623-6943, our in-studio email address, talkback at issuesetc.org, our Twitter address at issuesetc. Dr. Andrew Steinman is our guest. He's professor of theology and Hebrew at Concordia University, Chicago, and author of the Concordia Commentaries on Daniel, Proverbs, Ezra, and Nehemiah. In 1521, at the Diet of Worms, Martin Luther was asked to recant his writings. Luther responded, Unless I am convinced from the sacred scriptures that I am in error, I cannot and will not recant. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Will you stand with us as we proclaim these Reformation truths in the 21st century? You can take your stand by becoming a monthly or annual contributor to Issues Etc., To find out how you can become an Issues Etc. confessor, apologist, reformer, or patron, check out the donate page of our website, issuesetc.org. Just look for the picture of Martin Luther posting the 95 Theses. Help us proclaim the solas of the Reformation, Scripture, faith, grace, and Christ alone. Here we stand, Issues Etc., and you. Grace, faith, Scripture, and Christ alone. You're listening to Issues Etc. The Story of Baby Joseph. This is a special commentary from the Susan B. Anthony List, named for the suffragette who was proudly pro-life. Joseph Marachi of Canada was born with a fatal disease that will prevent him from living for more than a year. The Canadian doctors wanted to take him off the breathing machine and remove his feeding tube. However, baby Joseph's parents requested that he be given a tracheotomy so that they could take care of him at home, where he would be surrounded by loved ones. The doctors refused, calling the procedure futile. But baby Joseph's family persisted, and with the help of priests for life, baby Joseph was transported to St. Louis, where he received a tracheotomy. More on this story tomorrow. This is Marjorie Dannenfelser, president of the Susan B. Anthony List. To join us in our battle for life, visit our website at sba-list.org. That's sba-list.org. Well, Romeo and Juliet, Samson and Delilah, baby, you can invent a love they couldn't deny. Welcome back to Issues Etc. Dr. Andrew Steinman is our guest. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about the Old Testament judge, Samson. He is the thing, well, he used to be the thing of Sunday school stories. He has oddly dropped out of the Sunday school curriculum for so many because, well, as we'll find out here in a moment, he spends most of his time killing people. I mean, that's just the way it is. He spends most of his time finding interesting and sometimes bizarre ways to kill Philistines all the way to the point of his death. Dr. Steinman, so we've established already that this is a man who's not acting on his own largely. Much of his bizarre behavior seems to be guided by God himself. Todd, you're breaking up. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Can you hear me now? Yes. We, we've, we've, we've established that uh, Samson, Samson's bizarre behavior is sometimes guided by God himself. Yeah, although the scriptures don't say this in everything that Samson does, by the hints that it drops, especially at the beginning here with his marriage, 
and then uh, a few places along the way, I think we're supposed to conclude that um, all of um, this stuff that Samson does that eventually um, brings uh, bad things to the Philistines has God's hand in it, although God is not blessing, of course, uh, the times when Samson sins. But nevertheless, he can use Samson's actions, uh, even his sinful actions, uh, for the good of his uh, people Israel. There's a key event that takes place here. It's told as kind of an aside, but it plays a very important role, not only in his interaction with the Philistine men later, but also in uh, what is a blatant violation of his Nazarite vow, and that is the encounter with the lion. What happens? Yeah, he comes uh, across a lion as he's going down uh, to Philistine uh, territory to visit his uh, future bride, and uh, we're told that um, the Spirit of God comes on him, and this is, of course, what Samson is especially known for. He uh, gets this um, great strength, and he tears the lion apart, leaves the carcass on the side of the road, and later on, uh, when he goes by this lion carcass again, some bees have made a nest in there. He finds honey there, and he reaches in and eats the honey. Now, of course, uh, Nazarites were supposed to keep themselves especially pure. They were not to become ceremonially, ceremonially unclean in any way. And one of the ways one becomes unclean in the Old Testament is t- by touching a dead body. Um, and so he touches, you know, and reaches into this lion. Uh, he's going to be unclean till sunset that day, and he's violating uh, the Nazarite vow that has been imposed upon him from birth. Then comes this series of riddles that he poses to, I believe it's the, Philist- the Philistine men, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's kind of the Philistine men who are there at his uh, wedding, celebrating his wedding at the wedding feast, which lasts several days, probably indicating Samson comes from a, a rather well-to-do family, and so does uh, his bride. But they enter into this uh, wager about a riddle. Samson has to tell uh, a riddle, and if the Philistine can guess his riddle, he owes them 30 sets of clothes, I guess 30 nice Brooks Brothers suits or something like this. And um, if they can't answer his riddle, then, of course, Samson gets the 30 sets of clothes. And so he tells them a riddle that we as readers of the book uh, know to this point is about the lion, but, of course, the Philistines don't because they haven't seen the lion and the honey. And so he tells them this little riddle that does something very rare for Hebrew. It actually rhymes in Hebrew. It's, out of the eater came something to eat, out of the strong one came something sweet. And, of course, we know as the reader that the, the eater and the strong one are the lion and the something to eat and something sweet are the honey. But the Philistines are totally um, clueless as to what this is. They have to um, put pressure on Samson's new bride and her family, and they get so desperate, the, the feast lasts a number of days, and towards the end they get so desperate that they actually threaten them with bodily harm if she doesn't find out. And so uh, here we find for the first time kind of Samson's uh, weakness for women. Uh, she cries on him, and, 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 and she says, you know, you don't love me, you haven't told me the riddle. And he says, of course, I haven't even told my parents what this is about. But f- finally he gives in and tells her and she, of course, immediately tells these Philistine young men, and they come back and solve the riddle and say, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? 
And then Samson, who always thinks of himself pretty clever, um, even though he's lost his bet, he, he says something back to them, which, again, ironically, rhymes in Hebrew, a very rare thing. Uh, he says, if you hadn't plowed with my cow, you wouldn't know my riddle now, if I can make it rhyme in English. <laughs> I guess it's often wondered, is he implying that they have somehow put his, his new wife in a compromising position? Yeah, he is. I don't know how much his wife liked being called a cow, but at any rate, um, he is implying that that's how they got the meaning. And he realizes that that's why his uh, wife was trying to... Uh, worm this information out of him, and it probably leads to his estrangement from his wife um, uh, that we read about later on in the story. This is the second time that the Spirit of the Lord, in, in, the, uh, in, in the language of the translation I'm looking at here, rushed upon him. I don't know if it's a metaphor for the wind or not, but he goes down and performs another amazing feat of strength, single-handedly killing 30 men and taking their stuff so he could fulfill his part of the bargain. Yeah, so the Philistines lose either way, because he kills 30 Philistine men to give all their clothes to these other 30 Philistine men um, to whom he lost the bet. And so um, God uh, uses this to get at the Philistines. Um, And this is kind of the first um, kind of down payment of God's um, war against the Philistines through Samson. What happens then... Uh, in Samson's life, his interactions, it continues to be interactions with the enemy, the Philistines. Yeah, well, um, uh, we find out that uh, Samson uh, decides, after a while, have have not seen his wife in a while, uh, decides he's going to go down to see her, but um, his father-in-law won't let him in to see her, uh, anymore. Uh, he gave her away to somebody else because he figured they were estranged. And so Samson is pretty upset, and he uh, goes out and does something the, I guess, the Animal Protective League of the day would have been very upset about. He gets uh, 300 foxes, traps 300 foxes, um, ties them together by the tail, and puts a torch in between each one. And so he has these 150 sets of foxes, and he, right before the harvest, he sets them out in the Philistine uh, fields, and you can imagine these terrified foxes pulling uh, one way and the other end up going through the Philistine fields and burning them down, and the Philistines lose a whole year's worth of crops here, and of course they're very uh, upset with him. And so um, the Philistines uh, raid Judah uh, because of this. Um, they uh, come up against um, the, the uh people of Judah and say uh, to them, we want Samson. That's why we're raiding. Get us uh, Samson. So Judah sends 300 men out to get Samson, who's not from Judah, by the way. He's from the tribe of Dan. And um, uh, they they want to tie Samson up, and he says, fine, uh, uh, you can tie me up, but tell me that you won't attack me yourselves. You'll just turn me over to the Philistines. And so that's what they do. And uh, when the, uh, he's turned over to the Philistines, again, once again, the Spirit of the Lord rushes on him, and I think you're right, that is kind of a metaphor for the wind, because the word of spirit and wind is the same in Hebrew. Um, and the uh, ropes he's bound with, he's be able to just snap them, we're told, uh, like flax that had caught on fire, like there was just nothing. And he finds one of the oddest um, 
implements of war in the entire Old Testament, the jawbone of a donkey, and he strikes down, we're told, a thousand Philistine men. Uh, and he even says a little uh, poem here again at the end of this with the jawbone of a donkey. I've made two heaps of them with the jawbone of a donkey. I've struck down a thousand men. And it, once again, Samson rhymes. He thinks he's so clever that he can rhyme, I think. Um, a question about the numbers that we may have to carry over on the other side of the break, and that is, I've noticed kind of a theme here. There is 30 men, then there are 300 foxes, there are 300 men elsewhere. He will kill 3,000 with his death. Are these literal numbers, either in the case of the numbers of people or the foxes, 3,000 fox. I mean, 300 foxes seems like an awful lot of foxes to manage at once. It does um, seem like a lot. Or is this is this kind of wink, wink, nod, nod, uh, hyper, hyperbole on the part of the storyteller here? About a minute before we take a break. I don't believe it is. Uh, I believe probably that that th- these numbers are literal. Um, even though Samson kills, say, 3,000 men at, at at his death, or a thousand Philistines here. Um, considering the population of the Philistines, this this is really only a small strike against the Philistines. It's kind of only the first blow uh, that Samson, in his career, strikes, and it, it's going to have to go on later. Um, Samson probably was blessed by God and able able to do these uh, what appear to us to be fantastic numbers. But I think, in the long run, we're only the beginning of things. Dr. Andrew Steinman is our guest. Ten more minutes with him on the other side of the break, talking about Old Testament judge Samson. We're about halfway through his story. In fact, there's kind of a false ending here at the end of uh, chapter 15, where we're told he judged Israel in in the days of the Philistines 20 years. But then the story goes on. Samson came to my bed, told me that my hair was red, told me I was beautiful, came into my Are you looking for a church where you can receive the gifts of God in the gospel and the sacraments and in the church's historic worship with lively music? Then come to Hope Lutheran Church in South St. Louis. We're located on the corner of Brannon and Neosho Streets at 5218 Neosho. You can also reach us on the World Wide Web at www.hopelutheranstl.org. And give us a call at 314-352-0014. There is hope in St. Louis. Right now, many churches are planning their budgets for the next fiscal year. Your church can support the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. by joining the Issues Etc. 300. We're looking for 300 congregations to include $1,000 in their mission or advertising budgets. Find out more about the Issues Etc. 300 on the support page of our website, issuesetc.org. Don't miss your congregation's budget deadline. Download the flyer and present it to your congregation today. Theology for Blue Collar, White Collar, and Clerical Collar. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks for sending us your email. Having produced Issues Etc. for more than 15 years, I can tell you that we've never received email response like this. Unfortunately, we simply can't reply to all of your email. So here's a way that I can almost guarantee a response to your question or comment. Call the Issues Etc. comment line, 618-223-8384. It's available for your questions or comments 24-7, 618-223-8384. 
The 500th anniversary of the Lutheran Reformation is fast approaching. We have such a rich history as Lutherans, and many people don't realize that. The CLCC offers a seminar called Your Reformation Walk that teaches that rich heritage and helps you appreciate it. The CLCC also offers other seminars designed to help laity learn to appreciate what Lutherans believe, teach, and confess. So invite us to your church. Visit the CLCC.org and get details on scheduling a seminar for your church today. Issues Etc. Book of the Month for May takes us deeper into the Old Testament. In fact, the very first chapter, a very crucial chapter, one where the reader of Scripture has to make a bit of a decision. Is he going to take this seriously or is he going to begin with the very first chapter of Scripture reading his own reason or skepticism or the skepticism of others into the text? With the very first chapter, will he take it in its plain literal sense? in its account of creation. The book is called In the Beginning, God. Dr. Joel Heck is its author. He's a regular guest here on the program. Creation from God's Perspective. Call and order this little book that is full of great and simple truth about the creation account in the book of Genesis. Concordia Publishing House has a toll-free number anytime during the day, during regular week hour, weekdays, 1-800-325-3040, Order in the beginning, God, the issues, etc., book of the month for May, 1 800 325 3040, or browse before you buy at our website, issuesetc.org. Look for in the beginning, God, the issues, etc., book of the month for May. Herman's waiting on the line in Illinois. Herman, welcome to Issues, etc. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, you use the term rushing of the Holy Spirit coming upon Samson. Would that be also in a similar uh, pattern and uh, touch on what the Holy Spirit does to the apostles uh, from Pentecost on, enabling them to do the miracles in the name of Jesus? Great question, Herman. Thanks for listening in Illinois. Yeah, wonderful question. And yeah, it is a very similar thing, and I don't think that's by accident. Um, the, uh, of course, in the New Testament, we're told there was this rushing of the wind. And uh, interestingly enough, in both Greek and the New Testament and Hebrew and the Old Testament, the word for spirit and wind are the, the same word. You have to kind of know by context which is which. Um, but the um, Spirit of God is often associated then uh, with kind of the wind and, and the breath uh, that he brings, for instance, to the prophets as they speak. And so um, the, the Scripture makes use of this kind of um, uh, dual possibility in the meaning of these words uh, to kind of uh, heighten the uh, figure and draw our attention uh, to this all-important work of the Spirit. Now to the uh, text here where it appears to be well, there's, there's actually an account, before I get to my next question, an account where God splits a rock and has water come out of it, which has happened before in Holy Scripture, just to give thirsty Samson something to drink after he's finished wiping out all the Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. Yeah, and um, Samson thinks he's about to die, I guess, after killing these 1,000 men, um, and he's, he's very thirsty, and so he cries out to God and asks him, are you going to let me now... Uh, fall into the hands of these Philistines because I'm so weakened and exhausted. And God opens up this uh, spring, and uh, uh, we're told his spirit is revived uh, as he drinks from this spring, and he calls the place uh, En Hakor, which means um, 
something like the spring of the one who was called out. And interestingly enough, also the place where he, he does this uh, and kills all these men with the jawbone is called, um, uh, in Hebrew, uh, well, if we translate it from the Hebrew, it's called Jawbone Hill. So apparently Samson, again, is pretty clever or tries to be clever at naming things. So he, it, both the name of the place and the name of the spring uh, come from these um, uh, incidents in uh, Samson's life. I don't want to spend too much time with this, but is verse 20 of, of chapter 15 there a false ending to the Samson story? Because it talks, it summarizes the way it would uh, elsewhere, and then it goes on to tell us another story. Yeah, I think um, in, some, in some ways it's, it's um, probably uh, an ending to the story in that we've kind of uh, ended with the very uh, positive things that Samson has done. And now in the next stories, we're going to see, uh, especially come to light, Samson's sin, um, especially his weakness for women and his sexual sins that lead to his downfall. And so the author of Judges, I believe, kind of gives us this preliminary ending here to move us on uh, and signal to us that something different is coming in Samson, and we'll get a, a similar ending again at the end of chapter 16. Is um, he's, he meets a prostitute? Okay, already something's gone seriously wrong. And then Delilah, and Delilah appears to be his consort or his wife. It's difficult to tell what's going on there. What happens after his encounters with Delilah? Yeah, well, it's it's so interesting that yet, as you say, we don't know exactly what their um, relationship is, which may imply that it's not totally legitimate, especially coming right after the prostitute uh, notice. And what's interesting here is Samson uh, seems to have a weakness for uh, women, um, and Delilah, of course, has been bribed by the Philistines to find out the secret of his strength, and she asked him, and he, he tells her a tale that's not true, of course, and um, she tries to take his strength away and deliver him to the Philistines, and, you know, the kind of the Philistines hop out upon him and say, we've got you now, Samson. And, of course, they don't. And this happens not just once, not just twice, not just three times, but it happens four times. And so you get the impression that Samson really is caught up in his infatuation with Delilah and either um, can't figure out um, that, she's in league with the Philistines, or doesn't want to face up to the fact, and thinks he can keep on stringing her along. But of course, in the end, the fourth time, he actually tells her what it is, that he's been a Nazarite from birth, and his hair has never been cut. And of course, this is the famous story about Delilah cutting his hair, and um, now the Spirit of God completely departs from him, because now he's completely abandoned that Nazarite vow. And uh, we're told he's captured um, they put out his eyes, and they make him grind grain uh, like uh, an animal pulling a millstone. Is his strength really in his hair, or is this the way that the author tells us his strength was, in fact, God's Spirit? Yeah, this is exactly what the, the, the author's telling us, because uh, God had ordained that he should be a, a, a Nazarite for life, and when he has his hair cut, uh, that is what the Nazarites did when they ended their Nazarite vow. So what, in effect, Samson has allowed to happen is that he has abandoned God 
by uh, countervening uh, God's um, ordained wishes that he would be a, a Nazarite for life. He's brought this to a, mature end, uh, a premature end. And so God has abandoned him because he uh, went against God's wishes. And it's not so much his strength was in his hair as his strength was in God's promise attached to his Nazarite status. Then what should we learn, um, especially, coming back to our first question, especially of Jesus Christ, and so much foreshadowed here of Christ's own ministry, what should we learn of Jesus Christ in the way that Samson apparently dies tragically? Yeah, here we, we learn that even when it appears as if God's enemies are triumphing, God, in fact, is the one who triumphs. And uh, just as it appears as if Satan has won the battle when Jesus is crucified and gives up the ghost on the cross, we know that, in fact, that's where uh, Satan was indeed defeated and had not won at all, contrary to the appearances to the world. Well, so also, when it appears as if Samson is completely defeated, and God's servant here uh, is, is no longer able uh, to deliver his people, we see that God nevertheless has victory uh, as Samson uh, brings down more Philistines in his death than he did through his life. Dr. Andrew Steinman is professor of theology and Hebrew at Concordia University, Chicago, author of the Concordia Commentaries on Daniel, Proverbs, and Ezra, and Nehemiah. Thank you so much for being our guest. It's always a pleasure, Todd. Folks, here's a way that you can support truth-centered mission outreach and publicize your congregation to the world. It's our church sponsorship program, The Issues Etc. 300. When your church pledges to support Issues Etc. in its annual budget to the tune of $1,000 or more, you get to advertise here on Issues Etc. at our website in the Issues Etc. journal and Even better, you support the Christ-centered, cross-focused message of Issues Etc. going out on the radio and over the Internet every single day to everyone who will listen. It's the Issues Etc. 300. Your congregation should consider joining now as it's making its budget decisions if a fiscal year is approaching on July 1st. Go to our website, issuesetc.org, click support, download and print that one-page flyer that's there for you, explaining to you and your congregation everything they need to know about the Issues Etc. 300. More Bible study tomorrow on Issues Etc. We'll look at 1 Timothy and... It's 1 Timothy chapter 2, and the issue of women in worship, some pretty thorny passages. Our guest will be Dr. Charles Geeshan of Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Also tomorrow, as usual on Friday, we'll play with you, Issues Etc., Soundbite of the Week. The Spirit moves this man, this man fraught with some tremendous weakness and sin, proclivities to evil, an Achilles heel for the women, the Spirit does exactly what the Lord wants done through this Samson in his life and in his death, and he foreshadows the one who will save us all in his death. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening to Issues Etc. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc., 
Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Lutheran Public Radio, P.O. Box 912, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 912, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.